0: And we'll get to Luke chapter 2 on Christmas Eve, Lord willing. Uh, But Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 39 to 56 together. Let me pray. uh, And then we'll look at that passage now. Let's pray. Father God, we do uh, thank you uh, that we will be like him when he comes. uh, That he will come for us, his church, that we will be caught up and meet him in the air and forever be with the Lord. So we pray that you would encourage us, comfort us with these truths. We pray now as we consider uh, this passage, as we consider Mary's response to this life-changing news that she would be the mother of the Messiah, as we consider uh, how you are at work in the world, how you always have been, we pray that you would equip us, orient us to walk in this world through this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you, by a show of hands, know what geo-guessing is or geo I'm seeing a few hands. I'm not seeing any hands over the age of 30. <laughs> I think that's safe. I had to look up what it was called, but I knew what it was. And maybe you know what it is, even though you don't know the name. So this is a game that people play with Google Maps. And you get dropped in a place and you have Google Street View. And so you have a a photo. Sometimes you can go 360 of a place on a map. And then you have to guess where it is. You have to deduce where this place is. And it could be anywhere on Earth. This is not an easy, not an easy game. Uh... You have to guess, you know, what continent, what country and then where in the country and then you're scored based on how far where you drop the pin is from where the photo was taken. Right. You get the idea. Watching professionals and there are professionals play GeoGuessr is absolutely remarkable. I saw one video where they flashed an image on the screen for point 0.1 seconds. They had three seconds to gather what they had just seen and then they could guess. And they were getting like four out of five. I saw another video with a professional who was only shown a picture of grass. No horizon, nothing else in the photo. And he could guess with pretty high accuracy based on the type of grass where it was in the world. Right. So this is this is actually a thing that people do. Right. Unbelievable. There are some constants when they look at a photo. Right. They know that there is a sun. And the sun always rises in the same place, always casts a certain shadow based on the hemisphere that it's in. They know signage, like the reflectors on the side of the road are country specific. And when you memorize them, you have a big you know, leg up in guessing where this place is. There's constants, right? They see those few things they can guess. And then there's other things that are fairly consistent. So the type of telephone pole, right? Do they put... Transistors on the telephone pole. Only certain countries do that. Is it one pole or is it two? Are there holes in the pole? Are there reflectors on the pole? So they just think, okay, those things are consistent to a region. That might be, okay, I'm in South America now. There's things that are constant and there's things that are consistent. Everything in the picture can be a clue. And they use that to orient themselves. Orient themselves in the world on a map. If they don't know, if they don't learn how to read shadows well or which countries use which warning signs or speed limit signs or whatever, they'll be lost. Just like you and I would be lost if we didn't have any training and you just threw us in this game. We'd go, I have no idea. No idea. But once they've learned those things and the type of grass and the color of the soil and, and all these details, well, they're never lost. They can always orient themselves. They always have a pretty accurate guess as to where they are. When we turn to the Bible, we learn that God's character is constant and God's ways are consistent. And when we know his character and we understand his ways, we can orient ourselves in the uncertainties of life. That knowledge helps us. God doesn't change. He works in certain ways for his certain purposes. And when we learn who he is and how he works, we're not lost. And, and when we come to Luke chapter one, we, we find this again, some orienting knowledge about our God and his ways. And we, we realize this, we learn this through Mary. Through Mary's example and through Mary's song. So this morning, I want to just see some really basic truths from Scripture. Two orienting truths for life. Two orienting truths for life. The first is this. God's character is constant, keeping his promises. That's point number one. God's character is constant, keeping his promises. Point number two, orienting truth. God's ways are consistent, exalting the humble. God's ways are consistent, exalting the humble. So first, orienting truth. We know where we are, where we're heading. We place ourselves in God's plans is this. God's character is constant, keeping his promises. And I think we'll see this, especially in verses 39 to 45 here in Luke chapter 1. So what's constant? God, right? And his keeping of promises. It's more sure than the sun rising. God will keep his promises. Let's jump into the story, back into the story that we started last week here from Luke chapter 1. Maybe you recall that God had promised back in 31 through the angel Gabriel that Mary would conceive The son of God. And what's interesting is we aren't told exactly when Mary conceives. It's actually not even mentioned. When is it? Well, it's sometime between Nazareth when Gabriel comes with the announcement in in chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And her arrival at Elizabeth's house here in verse 39. 39. The voyage would have been maybe 60 to 100 miles. Somewhere in there would have taken a few days. And Mary doesn't waste any time getting there. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country uh, to a town in Judah. She doesn't dilly-dally. We know that when Mary arrives, she's pregnant. Look down at verse 42. Right. Elizabeth's Holy Spirit prompted blessing of Mary tells us that she conceived sometime in the week or so, maybe, uh, between Gabriel's announcement and her arrival at Elizabeth's house. So how old is John when she arrives at her relative, likely her cousin Elizabeth's house? Well, he's about six months old, right? So John is about the size of my hand. How, how, how big is Jesus? Well, he's smaller than the letters on your Bible page. Right. He's tiny, right? He's just been conceived. Maybe a week old, maybe. Gabriel, speaking for God, makes a promise. Look, look back in verse 31. I mentioned it earlier. Let's read Luke 1, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So we know God kept his promise to Mary and she did indeed conceive as a virgin when the Holy Spirit came over her and overshadowed her sometime on her way to see Elizabeth. So the Virgin Mary is now pregnant in our story. We can miss it if we don't pause to note it. Right? God makes the promise and he keeps the promise, not just Old Testament promises 800 years later. But New Testament promises one week later. Then she receives confirmation. Really three levels of confirmation through Elizabeth and through in the womb, baby John. Confirmation that what Gabriel said has indeed taken place. But do you remember the sign? Remember, he said there's going to be a sign. Look down at verse 36. This is from last week. Remember the sign? Elizabeth, in her old age... Is going to have a son. Remember what she was called. Barren, right? She was identified as someone who was barren. She wasn't just older. She was also barren. And so a miraculous birth. Well, the first confirmation comes in verse 41 when Elizabeth, lo and behold, is actually pregnant. Miraculously pregnant. She's six months along. She's showing so God doesn't just keep his promises in relation to Jesus, but in relation to John. That's confirmation number one. Number two, John rejoices in Jesus, pointing to his greatness. This is exactly what Gabriel said would happen in chapter one. Do you remember this? John is going to come and John's job is going to say, that's the Messiah. He's going to point to the greatness of Jesus. Jesus. And what's amazing in our passage is that John starts on the job early, right? He's like 22 weeks or something, right? John begins his, his ministry. Look back at chapter 1, verse 15, second half. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he starts pointing people, first his mom, to Jesus as he leaps, even in the womb, notice the third confirmation. Elizabeth blesses Mary and Jesus. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, so we know she's not off base here. And she calls this just conceived Jesus smaller than the letter on your Bible page. Her Lord. Wow. A title reserved for God Himself. John leaping in her womb. Look at verse 43. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She's blown away by the visit. Because John in the womb, Holy Spirit has made it clear who's visiting. Her Lord is here. Her God is here. Her master is here. Her king has arrived. And he's tiny. Her blessing of Mary and Jesus is the third confirmation that Mary has indeed conceived the son of the most high. Just like Gabriel said. Let's read verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Last week we saw Mary's response. Back in verse 38. It was one of humble submission. Let it be to me according to your word. She's the Lord's servant. Willing to do his will. But just note. That we get from. Nazareth down to Judea we get from yes I believe let it be to packing bags traveling 60 plus miles so submission to God's will does not equal passivity at least not here right in submission to God's good plans that have been just revealed to her through Gabriel, she, she gets up and in faith she goes to see what's been promised to her as a sign. So she has this kind of working in her mind, right? There's two promises being made here. You're going to give birth to the Messiah and Elizabeth is six months along. And, and this is what she thinks. She thinks, okay, if promise number two happens... Promise number one will happen or has already happened, as the narrative goes. And all of this is based on what? Right. We're talking about promises and these logic of them. What is this based on? This is based on the fact that God does not change. He cannot lie. So when a God who doesn't change and who cannot lie and is steadfast in his love and is able to work all things according to his will, makes two promises, which ones do you believe? Both. When that kind of a God makes three promises, which ones do you believe? All three. If he makes many great and precious promises, which do you choose? All of the above, right? Because he cannot lie. He does not change and he works all things in accordance with his will. So, so we don't sit here and say, okay, I trust God's promise to Mary, but not his promise to me. Promise number one, you will conceive the son of God. Promise number two, your relative has conceived in her old age and she's showing. So Mary doesn't wait around in faith. She goes, she goes to see if Elizabeth is showing. She goes to see if promise number two is true. And she does it in faith because Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, blesses her for her faith. In verse 45, she trusted God. And so she went to see that God had fulfilled exactly what he said. She believed and then she acted in accordance with that belief, not passive. So when we see a promise of God fulfilled... We remember the logic of faith. Once fulfilled, same God. All will be fulfilled. So we allow God's faithfulness to Mary in the past. Very different context, specific to the Messiah. To confirm his faithfulness to us. So we see God keeping his promises in the Christmas story. And we believe that the one who began the good work in me will complete it. We see God keeping his promises in Luke chapter 1, and we believe the promises of Romans chapter 8. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We believe that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We, we read God keeping his promises in Luke chapter one, this familiar Christmas story. And we believe that we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. We see God's faithfulness. In Luke chapter 1, and we believe that He is my refuge and strength, and He is my very present help in time of trouble. We believe that in response to prayer, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will actually keep my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We believe that He will supply everything we need. We believe, because He's kept His promises in Luke chapter 1, That blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they are satisfied. That's a promise. We believe God's word when he says he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We see his faithfulness with promise one. And we know he's going to be faithful with promise two and three and four and five and six and seven and just keep going. So when you read your Bible and you read a promise to you as a believer, you say, yes, yes. And when you see him keeping a promise, not to you, but to someone else in the past, in history, in your Bible, you think, and he will for me as well, because he is the same God. He does not change. He cannot lie. And He's working all things in accordance with His will. So God's faithfulness to Mary should encourage you that He is being faithful to you in Christ. And Mary's faith in God's promises should encourage you to follow her in trusting in faith, not passively, but actively, living in accordance with His Word. Allow God's promises kept. To marry, both the 800 year kind and the one week kind, to be fuel poured on the fire of your faith. Point number one, God's character is constant, keeping His promises. Second orienting truth that we want to look at now, point number two, God's ways are consistent, exalting the humble. God's ways are consistent, exalting the humble. This is uh, Mary's Magnificat, right? Beginning in verse 46. What a beautiful section of scripture all the way down to verse 55. It's a song of praise. She's carrying the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, in her womb. And so she, she praises God. Like we talked about last week, as we come to a song like this, As we read it, Luke expects us to be, we want to be thinking, where have we seen this before? Pattern recognition, right? We've seen barrenness before. We talked last week a good bit about Abraham and Sarah, but we've seen it other times in the story. Pastor Kevin drew the connection as he did the scripture reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1, right? Hannah. Hannah is promised a son, given a son, and she responds what? With a song. We think, okay, we've seen this before. This this helps us say, okay, we we know what to maybe expect. Mary's song here is, is deeply personal. Again, think about her. We talked about Elizabeth's shame being removed. Well, Mary's was being given to her. She's not married. She's now pregnant. This is very personal. Look at verse 46. My soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god here it is a third time my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things note again for me and holy is his name my soul my soul. she's very personal but, but notice the end of verse 47 the implication is clear she says my savior she calls God my savior so she understood herself to need a savior she is blessed yes she is truly blessed Mary but she is not sinless and she knows it and we should know that too so, we ought not to worship her, but we should join her in worshiping God, her Savior. Look down at verse 48 and 49. I just read them. Do you see the three additional reasons that she gives for magnifying the Lord, right? Four, four, four. God's looked upon her and exalted. See the reversal? She, she thinks, okay, just like, just like Hannah of old, God is reversing the fortunes of his people. Like Hannah, she points to God's priorities and he prioritizes who? The lowly. We'll come back to that third reason you see there in verse 49 he has done mighty things in sending the son of God to earth he has done those things Mary says for me and so she magnifies the Lord I've used this illustration before it's not original to me but I think it's helpful right she magnifies the Lord not like a microscope but like a telescope right what does a microscope do Microscope makes really, really itsy bitsy things look bigger than they really are. What does a telescope do? It makes massive things begin to look as big as they already are. Right. So we magnify the Lord, not like a microscope. Like, all right, let's gather in. Let's look real close. Maybe we'll be able to see something here. No, like a telescope, right? We look at the grandeur of God and we say, man, we want to magnify. We want people to be able to see what God is really like through our lives. So when we gather to worship on Sunday morning, it's not an exercise in exaggeration. It's an exercise in creatures grasping for words, grasping for poems and song and music That can orient our hearts and begin to point weakly, W E A K, to the grandeur of our God. He is so mighty, so, we want to capture this His might and His mercy and His holiness. We want to get glimpses of it through His Word and respond in worship like Mary and magnify the Lord and rejoice in Him. Mary's not rejoicing in her circumstances. Not first and foremost, not in the uncertainty. And as a result, her joy isn't up for grabs. It's not circumstantial. It's not fickle. It's not fleeting. No amount of shame that's about to come to her will be able to take it from her. No, she rejoices in God. Friends, the best way to find durable joy in this life is to make God the object of your joy. That's how you find durable joy. Her spirit rejoices in God. So she goes back to the scriptures that she has learned and heard and meditated on. She knows Hannah's song and its themes and they come right to her mind. She remembers how Hannah's state was humbled and how God continued to do that, humbling Eli and his sons, exalting Samuel, humbling Goliath, exalting David. And she says, this is happening again. This is happening in me. And Luke is going to continue to show us this, right? You save your life by losing it. What happens? The exalted are humbled, and those who are humble, they will be exalted. The first, they're going to be last. The last, they're going to be first. Hannah, who was barren, praises God because God has provided for her a son. He's reversed things, humbling the mighty, strengthening the lowly. And then we move from Hannah to Mary. This is pattern recognition. God's ways are consistent. He loves to exalt the humble, those who fear him. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then in in verse 50 and following, she moves from her own story to the story of her people, the story of generations that will come after her. What a mature young lady to think generationally. For those who fear him from generation and generation, more reason to praise. So it moves from Mary to what does this birth of a son mean? For my fellow Jews, Israelites who are trusting the Lord for the nations. What does this mean? Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered God has done it. God is doing it. And it's so certain God God will do it. It's, it's as good as done. How will God accomplish this? This must have been staggering for Mary. It's going to be through my son. God is going to do all that he's promised. She finds herself in the pattern of redemption. And she says, okay, that's through My son, all God's promises will find their yes in him. So in Jesus, God will show strength with his hand and scatter the proud and bring down the mighty from their thrones and exalt the humble and fill the hungry with good things and send away the rich empty. And he's going to help his people, Israel. Each one of these things draws attention to what she anticipates, this reversal as God helps his people, even as he opposes their enemies. God's promises are kept here in a one week window, but also in a 3000 week window because it ends with a reference to who? To Abraham, She knows her Bible. She knows God's good promises. And she knows that they're coming to fruition through her son. The promises that were made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and on and on and on. Friends, she has reason to praise God because she knows God's promises. Promises that are not known are not praised. God, God is not praised for them. We can't praise God for promises we don't know. Do you know God's many good and precious promises to you? They are reason for worship. We've talked about this reversal. That God displays both his holiness and his mercy through Jesus, God does indeed humble. He does indeed bring down. He does indeed send away. The Bible says over and over that God resists the proud. Those who look to themselves and not to him are proud. And they will show, be shown to be proud. And they will be shown to be just drops in the bucket, if you will, by God. So if you are living for yourself and not for him, if you are fundamentally self-oriented, self-centered, God, your creator, is actively resisting you. And he will humble you. Friends, mark it down. God will humble you in judgment if you don't now humble yourself in repentance. Repent now. Humble yourself now. Call out to God now to save you, right? Mary called God her Savior, and we learn in just the next chapter that our Savior has come in the in the person of her Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So you must rely on Him, His perfect life, His substitutionary death. Humble yourself. God humbles the proud, but that's just one side of the coin through Jesus. God will also show his strength, fill the hungry and exalt the humble. One preacher asked this question, does this not commend itself as true? that the great and holy God would magnify His greatness by blessing the lowly who admire His greatness and by abasing the haughty who resent His greatness. Look down again at verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He doesn't care how big of a country they're over, how much power they have, how much military might, Look where he goes in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. She didn't just know this and love this. Mary believed this, and she adored her God for this. This is how he works. When I see myself as humble before him, when I humble myself, he is for me. So she made this her song, her life song. We can't talk about Mary without talking about faith. That's how we ended last week. And that's where we are again here, aren't we? What an example. Are you trusting in God here, especially Mary's son to save you? Have you humbled yourself in repentance, turning from your sin, turning from your pride, turning from your self-centeredness? Or are you still your own little king? On your own little throne, over your own little kingdom. Friends, God is constant. What he says, he does. More sure than the rising of the sun. And God's ways are consistent. You won't be the exception. God's ways are consistent. This is a warning but it's also a mercy isn't it? Because God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So salvation comes to those who will humble themselves before God. Let me ask you has salvation come to you? Have you humbled yourself before Christ, your Savior? If you have make God's character make God's Ways, the theme of your life's song. Follow Mary's example in praising the Lord for his constant character and his consistent ways. Two orienting truths for your life. God's character is constant. He always keeps his promises. And God's ways are consistent. Let me pray. Father God, we we see sin in ourselves. And so we must. We must humble ourselves that you might exalt us. We must realize that we are not God, that we ought not to be on the throne of even our own hearts That we need to be rescued from our rebellion, from our pretending to be the king. Father, we pray that we would follow in the faith of Mary and that we would see Jesus as the true king. That we would see that you are consistent And humbling those who are proud and exalting those who are humble. So, Father, we thank you for how the gospel does that for each one who will repent and believe. Humble themselves and simply receive the gift of your son. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for Mary's song. And we pray that you'd be honored now as we hear it sung. In Christ's name, amen.